Hello and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and as always, thank you for joining me on this sports podcast where we have quite a bit to talk about in the world of football. We're going to start with Brian Smith, the marketing and multimedia manager at Utah's Olympic Legacy Foundation and also a college football insider. The carousel is out of control. Lincoln Riley leaves Oklahoma for USC. Brian Kelly leaves Notre Dame for LSU. What those moves mean, the vacancies they've left behind, a lot of coaching moves and and a lot of moves upcoming. We break all that down as well as the college football playoff picture. And then Ian Dunn, Tennis Channel producer, the Panda, my brother, he's back. We talk about the NFL. A lot of parody in that league. His Bucks looking like they could be peaking. The Packers looking good. What the AFC power rankings should look like. We break down boxing. Tiafimo Lopez's shocking upset. Other news and storylines in that sports and baseball free agency. All that on the Money Mitch Effect today. It starts right now. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect. Brendan Smith calling in, now officially a recurring guest. We're going to talk a lot of college football here. Brendan, uh, thanks for joining the show. Uh, I wish we were yeah, talking cool, more man. about the gridiron yeah. stuff, but the coaching carousel is just completely off the rails, and uh, I-, I love it, and I haven't seen anything like this. It's been amazing. I mean, it's just those two jobs between Oklahoma and Notre Dame, I mean, those are jobs that people aspire to. For their entire careers, they they work to get uh, from a coaching assistant all the way up to those. And two huge coaches left both of those uh, in the middle of the night, basically, to go to other obviously huge programs. But that's not something you see very often. No, it's not. And uh, I, I was looking at this as well. I think going into you know the the big domino, the Lincoln Riley domino, there was about 13, 14 or so big time jobs open, which is an insane number. And now, as you said, Oklahoma's open, Notre Dame's open. It it kind of started to turn a little bit with the Lincoln-Riley news uh, Saturday night when they lose the Bedlam game to Oklahoma State. And uh, he flat out denies going to LSU, which is got to be a br- br- brilliant move when you think about it because I don't think <laughs> USC just woke up the next day and said, hey, let's try to hire this guy. This is obviously, as you know, weeks, months even advance uh, in negotiations. Yeah, and... and- I think one point I wanted to bring up like right away that's interesting is the different motivations. I mean, Lincoln Riley coming into USC. I mean, if, if anybody saw the screenshots of the crowd this season, um, Mm -hmm. post Clay Helton, it was brutal and he can come in like a white knight, uh, take over. And you can see already with the press conference and the hype that's uh, happened in the last couple of days that they expect him to come in and, not only compete, but just take over the conference. And, you know, USC, since uh, the Pete Carroll days, has kind of just never really found its footing again as, as yeah. a blue-chip program. And uh, there's pressure, but it's also uh, an opportunity to come in with uh, almost it, – it's weird. It's like this mix of great expectations and no expectations because the team, mm-hmm. um, to return to that premier level – is there's going to be so many resources committed to this and there's there's already recruits that are flipping from his Oklahoma class and it just looks like there's a I mean it's LA so there's a red carpet to success uh in the Coliseum 
Yeah, something also I want to point out. I, I believe that Kelly and Lincoln Riley have the same agent, so take from that what you will. But uh, that's <laughs> <laughs> who knew what and who that's knew what right. first. Yeah. But no, it never I mean, hurt. Yeah. I, I was critical, and I got to give USC props because the firing after two games I had never seen before. I was not in the camp right. of Clay Helton like most people should stay, but it kind of did sandbag this season. But they got their home run higher in Lincoln Riley, who does what coaches do, and Brian Kelly's the same thing. You, you take the jobs with more money, you can get out immediately. I'm not knocking the hustle. It's how it goes and how the game's going to continue to be played. You know, the the move itself, and before we get to the UFC side, leaving Oklahoma, a lot of people will say, Brennan, that maybe it was, oh, we're going to the SEC, oh, you know, we might have you know run out on this heater. Do you think that had anything to do with the fact that he's taking this job, or do you think it was just the opportunity, the Blue Bud program, out west being usc yeah honestly mitch i mean to, I, i'm sure that factored into it but I, I think the the bigger thing is lincoln riley looked at where oklahoma was uh and where the big 12 is and going um and then looked at what was presented in the sec and the alternative is you get to live in la uh your biggest competition in the pac-12 is oregon and they're in a different division and you look around it at the teams that are in your division, Arizona is down, down, down. Mm-hmm. Uh, ASU has the NCAA investigation over their heads, and, and Herm Edwards is – there was just a lot of inconsistencies this year. Uh, UCLA, Chip Kelly kind of up and down. Um, and Colorado is just lost Mel Tucker a couple years ago, and, and they're just kind of middling. So when you look at that opportunity and you look at – uh, who you're playing in the Big 12, and then you have all those heavyweight juggernauts in the SEC waiting for you, and then all of a sudden you're looking at uh, Washington State and mm-hmm. Oregon State, and uh, you know Utah's still tough, but Colorado, it's uh, it's probably in your brain uh, a lot easier to gain a foothold when you're looking at that picture. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because. I, maybe it's just being a positive guy as well, but I think that it's more of how enticing USC was versus how you know scary Oklahoma was. I think that right. was probably what tipped the scale, not so much the other way around, not running from the Oklahoma thing. But, yeah, USC, given the landscape of college football uh, in their conference, should be able to turn it around quickly. And, you know, like our boy Sean Sullivan says, it's that put-up-a-fence you know, strategy. He doesn't really have to recruit outside of L.A. He actually recruited very well in Oklahoma in the L.A. area. He can flip some (laughs) of these recruits. Who knows what the transfer portal might bring him by way of current Oklahoma players. Not going to throw any names out there, but you guys kind of figure who's out there. But um, it wouldn't be hard for him to just attract massive amounts of talents to USC based on his track record. Right. And you you saw what he did with quarterbacks in Oklahoma. And... There are so there's so much talent just at that position alone in L.A., um, starting with his most recent uh, flip to USC. But that I mean that's USC football. You go back to Matt Leinart, you know Carson Palmer, uh, Sam Darnold, uh, all the way down the line, uh, and then Keaton Slovis kind of struggled this year. But they've never had a problem attracting good quarterbacks, and now you have a guy who has the reputation for turning quarterbacks into Heisman yeah. it, Heisman winners in that city so uh the pac-12 uh south especially had kind of a few years to take advantage of usc and i think that window has slammed shut yeah it seems like it um i I do i don't want to throw cold water completely i think 
you're right in terms of the Pac-12. I think on a national level, he's going to have to get better defensive players in. That that was a USC problem for years. And, you know, it's kind of been a Lincoln-Riley problem in the Big 12. And I think winning the Pac-12 is one thing. But if you get to that national national level, you're going to need to get defensive guys. Um, Brian Kelly, the other big domino that fell, that was who LSU got in a move that I guess – in hindsight, shouldn't have seen like it took us by surprise. The Notre Dame, excuse me, athletic director said they weren't totally shocked by this move. My shock in reading up on everything and, and studying this, Brennan, wasn't so much the move, and Kelly's known to do this and known to leave his teams right before bowl games, but age 60 and off of his best coaching performance, arguably in his Notre Dame tenure, the timing of the move was a little different, but ultimately it's Brian Kelly taking a coaching job, and how can we be that surprised? Exactly, and and it's so interesting that the you have kind of the dichotomy between these two coaching moves because Brian Kelly is going from a premier job to an absolute gauntlet. Premier yeah, he's going job. from comfort I mean, you, to to tough tough gauntlet. Or something, right, yeah. it's, it's kind of the opposite of of Riley. Not to say that the Pac-12 is a doormat, but you look the SEC West is the SEC West, and LSU. You know, the resources are always to beat Alabama. They're always to be in that SEC title game, and obviously they're just a couple of years removed from a national title. But it's interesting that you go from an independent where you mostly make your own schedule, you know your rivals, you know that uh, you're going to win the majority of those games just by being Notre Dame. Um, But that independent, obviously we all know, it, it holds you back from the college football playoff. And if he can get into Louisiana and, and recruit really well, um, and we've seen him uh, turn around these teams, then that challenge is going to be steep, but I think he's equipped to do it. So it's going to be really interesting to see that for forever there's been Nick Saban, Nick Saban, Nick Saban kind of at that level. And Ed or- Orgeron obviously had a national champion there, but the name value yeah. of somebody like Brian Kelly, there hasn't been – necessarily a nemesis to Saban like that in a while in that conference I think he clearly thought okay Notre Dame the best he's done and it's an amazing job is getting him to that playoff cusp but talent is what wins championships and I think he felt like he couldn't get the talent to win a title and that's probably the last thing on his resume that he needs to accomplish and you know age 60 this isn't like the farewell this is the last final shot he's not trying to drift off into the sunset but if it doesn't work out, okay, you're at that retirement age now. So I guess, you know, go for it is probably his mentality. Right. Enjoy some gumbo and uh, yeah. avoid less. <laughs> I mean, I, I think something else I want to mention is just that you look at Michigan uh, mm-hmm. this year, seems to finally have kind of figured it out. Um, Ohio State is Ohio State. Uh, Michigan State coming uh, out of nowhere and really excelling yeah. this year for the most part. Like those are the premier recruits for those teams are the ones that Notre Dame is also going after. And that after a long time has got to be exhausting. And when you look around at how talented the big 10 is uh, and how those teams directly that you're competing with are pulling these guys from the Midwest, he, he might've just wanted to go somewhere where there's uh, fertile recruiting in the Southeast. And uh, he's obviously going to have to compete there for recruits, but it's just got to be tough from that independent uh, perspective year after year after year after year to be competing with those teams to get those premier guys that will get you to the playoff. 
So this is going to be fascinating because we know how the LSU fan base is. If they're not title contending, I mean, it's, it's going to be rough. But if there's anyone that could be stable, I mean, it's Brian Kelly will get you to a, a point where they're going to win a decent amount of games. But getting to that next level, competing against Saban is going to be tough. Uh, just one note on him. Lincoln Riley gets a deal north of $100 million, highest paid coach now. Kelly's not that far off at $95 million. We just saw Franklin and Tucker sign uh, deals to re-up. What would what would fair market value be for Nick Saban is what I want to know. <laughs> oh yeah, that's exactly right. I think doesn't he have that clause in his contract that he has to be paid like in the top four or five average oh, yeah, coaches? It's, it's so. go it's going up. But I'm if you were just gonna go by results and what they mean and what they bring in I mean it's probably thirty million dollars. <laughs> so, oh easily, yeah. easily. Yeah. Absolutely. And I yeah. saw it like uh on Twitter a couple of days ago, somebody said you know, is the NFL going to learn from this, that there are premier coaches in the league? And it's been a long time since that, the John Gruden trade um, where there was picks involved. Mm-hmm. But these college teams are just going for it. And at some point, if you're kind of a more abundant uh, franchise in the NFL, are you looking at some of the premier coaches around and just opening the checkbook and saying, you know, we're going to uh, spend at this position or this uh, leadership spot and let the chips fall where they may. But it, it's, I think that's an absolute important part of the storyline is teams are just so aggressive at the top level because they recognize that if you're not one of those final four mm-hmm. in the college football playoff, you're becoming irrelevant and people are not paying attention on down the food chain from the top dog. Brandon Smith here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, so that's Kelly and Riley, but there are still other moves that just got completely dwarfed in the news cycle that I just wanted you to touch on for a little bit. Uh, Billy Napier from Louisiana to Florida, quite a step up, but you know, not basically the exact opposite of the hirings we just talked about. This is a guy that's gotten the chance to take that premier job for the first time, and you know, history is mixed, but it can work out, and I think it's not a traditional Florida hire, but might be the one that they needed. Absolutely. And that's, if you're Billy Napier, you're in an absolute dream spot right now. LSU is getting the headlines. LSU is getting all the hype. Mm -hmm. And he's done really well in that region, and he's going to be able to recruit Florida. And obviously coming from Louisiana, he'll still have a foothold there. And I think that might be, obviously, I I don't think Kelly's going to struggle. I don't think that Riley's going to struggle. But I think Napier, uh, in a few years down the road, might be the best overall fit hire for what Florida needed and what it's going to take to rise into the upper middle class of the SEC and stay there uh, for the first time in a long time for the Gators. Yeah, and, uh, you know, give Florida credit, and I guess LSU in the same regard. You know, they're they're just ripping the Band-Aid off. You know, we got to factor in recruiting, but if you see signs of just complete disarray, make the move immediately. Now, that could say things about how tense the job is, but they don't want to have those, you know, couple-year USC level down periods. So I guess you have to give them credit there. Um, Sonny Dykes going from SMU to TCU is one that I think kind of slid by the radar. This is... Uh, an interesting hire in the first coaching change TCU's made in about 20-plus years. Right, and that one's, I, I think there's a little more pitfalls there because obviously Patterson was as synonymous, synonymous with TCU as, as any coach is with any team in the nation. But Dykes, kind of the same thing as Napier. He's got, he's recruited in Texas, uh, SMU and, and TCU kind of have the same 
mentality, um, if not the same resources and expectations. But, you know, he run, he knows how to run an offense. And th- when TCU has been good, they've had good quarterbacks and solid defense. And I, I think that he's a good fit there, especially with the vacuum that uh, Oklahoma changing coaches is going to create. And there's going to be, again, that middle class of the Big 12 that needs somebody to step up and step in. Yeah, you have, uh, speaking of that middle class of the Big 12, I think it was Joey McGuire, the Baylor guy that Texas Tech just hired away midseason. He's going to stick around. Uh, and then, obviously, Virginia Tech with Brent Pry, the Penn State D coordinator, culminating, too, with Brennan, the uh, two schools in your conference, the Pac-12 up in Washington, finally shoring uh, head coaches in a little bit of a different fashion with Kalen DeBoer at Washington and the interim coach, Jake Dickert, sticking around at Washington State. So good to see those schools up in the Northwest finally get some full-time coaches yeah absolutely and and looking at uh Kalen it's Washington has really struggled with identifying a quarterback almost going back to this a deep pole like Jake Locker um (laughs) yeah they just haven't really (laughs) they haven't really had talent at that position and he comes from Fresno State with that pedigree so Again, in Washington, it's tough because you're recruiting against Oregon chiefly. That's uh, their chief rival outside of Washington State. Um, Looking at at Pullman, I mean, with so much that happened with Rolovich this year, that that absolutely makes sense to me. You're just trying to Mm -hmm. stabilize the position and and see where you're at because, you know, Washington State is not LSU. It's not uh, USC. It's not Oklahoma. So when – they just needed somebody who can right the ship, see what you've mm-hmm. got over the next few years, and see where you can end up in the Pac-12 North. Right. Washington making their second coaching uh, hire in, within two years, trying to stabilize stuff there. I did forget one though, and I am, apologize. It's Jim Morris coming back to coach UConn, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but um, <laughs> he's back in the college ranks, so we'll see. Uh, Brendan, yeah. before we switch uh, topics and talk about what happened and what's going to look forward at the playoff push, um, what do you think about these Notre Dame and Oklahoma jobs that are open? What, I mean, there's rumors, especially in the Notre Dame front, of what they'd like to happen, but how soon do you think we'll start to see these jobs be filled? I think with both, you you don't necessarily have to make a fast move, but you have to be thinking about how to salvage both your recruiting class and the momentum that they have for the rest of the season, especially when you're looking at Notre Dame, who's still in the thick of the outside of the playoff push. Um, And I I think your timeline isn't as rushed as people might think, because obviously those are premier jobs. They're not jobs that come open very often. So you want to do your due diligence, but there is, a little bit of urgency to make mm-hmm. sure that you salvage uh, the direction of your program. So I, I'm interested to see where they go. Does, does Oklahoma stay kind of with that offensive mind and keep trying to get quarterbacks there? Uh, Notre Dame is obviously in a unique case because of the independent and also, you know, it's just, it's a religious school. So there's requirements on that end too. And uh, it'll just be interesting to see who elevates into those spots. I mean, could Notre Dame seriously, within the next couple of weeks, depending on how it ends up, maybe even month, could they be targeting a coach like Cincinnati's Luke Fickle? I mean, <laughs> it worked the last time they uh, posed yeah. Cincinnati's uh-huh. coach. Yeah. So I, I mean, <laughs> if you're Luke Fickle, it, it's sort of the same like the Matt Campbell situation. Um, 
at what point have you maximized what you've got? Um, and again, these jobs don't open very often. So Mm. I understand he's, you know, he's saying the right things and, and they're, they're in the same position where they're just right there for a playoff spot. So I don't know if he wants to rock that boat, but it absolutely makes the most sense of obvious in your face hires to, to get him to South Bend get him there you could keep freeman as your dc there's there's a lot of connecting the dots but still a lot to play out on the field this year and off of it going into next uh with the playoffs uh the rankings right now it's georgia followed by michigan alabama cincinnati oklahoma state notre dame at six so those are your top six and i think i think uh brennan you know you can disagree here obviously but i feel like it's a pretty straightforward thing if, if alabama wins you're going to get two sec teams in Georgia is already in. I think Michigan just has to handle business. And I'd say the same for Cincinnati. I think Oklahoma State needs one of those things to happen. If two of those things happen with a Michigan loss in there as well, then you could see a coachless Notre Dame team in. I absolutely agree with that. And Georgia is just kind of in its own class right now. Alabama can get you any day because of the level of talent that they have. But we've seen Georgia just that defense is just swarming and the quarterback switch worked uh, yeah. at the beginning of the season. So yeah. I, I'm with you. I mean, Cincinnati, I don't think you're going to trip up. That defense is good. Um, mm-hmm. They're, they're taking care of business. So we need to take care of business. Um, and yeah, you can't keep Alabama out. You just, no. if, if they went out uh, and they handle their business, that's going to be it. I, I'm fascinated to see Michigan because so much of the narrative until last week with Harbaugh has been he's not beating these big teams, he's not doing he's not delivering against rivals, and all of a sudden he delivered an absolute statement against the biggest rival. Yeah. So what is it if Michigan can get to the playoff, what does it look like when they're facing those absolute premier SEC teams? I'm I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, I'd be worried about a letdown this week, but I do think Iowa's a good matchup for them. I just don't think they can move the ball and really press on their defense. Like, you know, there might be some vulnerability there. Um, so I do think, yeah, they'll they'll get to the playoff, and then we'll see from there. Uh, Bama, too, you mentioned it. I mean, they, their line isn't as good, but they are just so well coached and so cool under pressure for them to come back and win that game when they were dead to rights last week was phenomenal. I think if you're Georgia, I mean – but you've got to, I mean, this is my opinion, but I think you have to try to like kill, kill the beast, you know, don't save anything in the tank, get Alabama out of the playoff, (laughs) empty it. You have time off after this. You don't want to see them again. (laughs) That's right. You don't want uh, your Frankenstein, former Uh, boss to come back and uh, grim reaper you into oblivion. And he's done that many, many, many times. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, again, you know, shout-out to Oklahoma State for winning Bedlam and getting to this point. They have a tough matchup with Baylor, um, you know, and I, I think that that might end up being the best, most competitive championship game all weekend because Baylor's really <laughs> come on as well, and, you know, these two teams weren't expected to be here. Right, and, and that's your – you said it. it. That's the biggest pitfall uh, for Oklahoma State is you get a Baylor team that's also surging. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it over and over again in the Big 12. It's just it's so unpredictable, even when you get to this far into the season. So uh, still like the Cowboys, but we're going to see uh, how that shakes out. Yeah, we're coming down to the nitty gritty. It's pretty exciting here. Um, I think I, I think we're going to store for a good championship week, um, and then you know we'll we'll have to see from there. I know that you know playoff expansion has been been talked about too, but. 
You know, I, I kind of like four. I mean, maybe I'm in the minority, but I think it's exciting, and I think having all these teams still competing, and, you know, I, I like the stakes that we were seeing here. As someone that obviously rooted for Ohio State and had them dash last week, I still would like to say I like those stakes. <laughs> well, and, and I think the the shine is a little bit different this year because you look at Michigan and Cincinnati, who are your favorites to make it in. Those are new names. I, the The biggest detraction of the playoffs so far has been you know, at the beginning of the season, pencil in Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma. And now when you get a little bit more variety and, and diversity in those teams, I think you'll get less criticism of the system. Um, and there's just like, there's not a lot of great, great teams in college football this year where you say no brainer playoff. And I think the perception, at least the last few years, when three of those spots were really locked down uh, by those premier teams, it just became a kind of an elitist uh, mm-hmm. situation. But yeah. looking at this year, there's enough variety, and, and there's there's nobody besides Georgia, I think. Even Alabama has questions that yeah. you just say, absolutely, for sure, number one seed. And that makes it more interesting. It makes it more fun to follow this sport at the end of the season. That's that is true. That's a great point. We finally got the parody that we crave that the NFL sees on Sundays. Uh, it's been lovely <laughs> to see. Uh, last thing on college football: Do you have a Heisman pick right now, or you still need to wait and see? That's talk about Man. wide open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I honestly, it, it's one of those years where like uh, there's anybody can seize it in the last moment, and I I don't really have a prohibitive favorite. I mean, we're going back to like when Indomitung Sue was, like, in the conversation that, because there wasn't yeah. exactly like, you know, That's That's uh, why I think Will Anderson's in the conversation at Alabama yeah, because, yeah. I mean, this is the year right. he's – he's. Pro- I mean, I would say he's their best player, but, um, you know, there isn't – if Bryce Young destroys the – I mean, I shouldn't say destroys. If he has a great game against the Dogs this week, okay, that, that would say something to me. Right, exactly. And that's – it's again, it's like the playoff. It's it's fun to not rubber stamp uh, a quarterback in as your number one vote if you're a Heisman voter. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a blast to see who seizes that moment and, and gets that trophy. Brennan Smith, appreciate you coming on talking college football. Uh, I know you got some World Cup stuff up in Utah and then going to Calgary <laughs> for some work and uh, maybe to get stretched in the dungeon, in, in Bret Hart's family hey. dungeon. You know, I'm gonna have to borrow your Halloween costume and start throwing sharpshooters on people. Yeah, so. yeah. Do you have do you have, a, do you have any takes on the current pro wrestling scene? I know I like to get your opinion on that every time you're on. I mean, it's it's. I think we talked about this last time, but it just continues. the The WWE bloodletting of talent mm. is such a bummer to see. Um, there's a lot of people that obviously the real life impact of getting laid off, but also there's so much talent going out the door and. We've seen AEW absorb a lot of that over the last two years, but there's only so many spots to go around, and there's not enough airtime on anybody's TV network to fill all of these spots. But um, obviously, uh, Hangman Adam Page, that storyline finally wrapped up, and that was beautiful. Uh, Kenny Omega gets some very deserved time off, and he needs a... a little work on the body it sounds like to get back into tip-top shape but yeah mjf has been incredible in aew and uh it's really fun it's a fun time to be a wrestling fan i say this every time but there's just a lot of talent to go around all the way in the all the way all the way around the world and we're all benefiting from it 
We certainly are. Uh, can't wait to uh, see where that develops. Brendan Smith, appreciate you coming on. Now a familiar guest on this show. I uh, look to talk with you soon. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. All right, huge thanks to Brennan Smith. Always good to chat college football and, of course, pro wrestling with him. This coaching parody, this coaching carousel is getting crazy. Uh, more moves to come, so just stay tuned. All right, now we switch gears. As I always say, we're going to Ian Dunn, the panda. He's got a lot to talk about in the world of football. He, he's got a gloat about his Braves, you know, winning him another title this year. Like, he doesn't have enough going for him. Uh, some talk about boxing. Tiafima Lopez is upset. Some fights we want to see. And uh, just some general sports talk with Ian Dunn, the panda, right now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, we had to have him on eventually. Uh, I do this good thing where I wait two full months or three full months. So after he's celebrating, got all the annoying stuff out of celebrating a title. But it's the panda, Ian Dunn. <laughs> Ian, welcome back. Probably a smart move on your part there, Money. Uh... It's been a heck of a year, my man. Yeah, you uh, you don't deserve it. <laughs> I have made some sort of deal with the devil yeah. to have both the Bucks and the Braves get titles after you know twenty years of pain and suffering as a yeah fan of both Dif- teams. Different levels of pain and suffering. The Braves always made the playoffs but couldn't get it done. The Bucks were just kind of like they I don't had know their which run. is worse. Honestly, yeah. I mean dealing. The Bucks every year, like you felt like you had some hope at least. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Jameis could turn it around. Jameis could have a big year. The defense is finally coming around. And you know, every year, I just I had to be a Jameis apologist. I've talked about it before on your show. And I you mean, sa- and you said when we had, then you get a real quarterback, and it's like, what was just, I thinking? Yeah, <laughs> just like Stockholm syndrome. I remember standing up and clapping for Jameis when he got drafted. Uh, mm-hmm. But boy, Tom Brady's pretty good. Pretty good at football. He's doing it again this year. Yeah, the uh, the NFL. I mean, we can kind of just dive into that right now. It's you know, everybody comes back. The Bucks have the little bit of the hangover issue, injuries to play a part of it, but they're benefiting from the fact that there just seems to be no great teams. They're in the mix, and there's nobody in either conference that he- that is head and shoulders above. You see, like the Patriots making their move. The Chiefs are back on top. The Packers look good, but I mean, the Bucks are in the mix, and it's all going to be about peaking at the right time. It feels like this year more than any year in the, I don't know, the past 10 or 15, it's just so much parody in the NFL. Like, mm-hmm. you don't know what's going to happen every Sunday. Yeah. And it, it feels like, at least at least for me, you know, the, the Bucks were 6-3, and three and they had lost two straight games. And everyone was like, oh, man, this is the, this is the year. Like, Brady's going to suffer, and they don't look like the, the team anymore. And then they win one game, and all of a sudden, they're Super Bowl favorites again. Yeah. And that's what it was with the Chiefs. Like, early in the season, oh, they're not the same Chiefs anymore, you know? Right. And they win a few games, and now they're the, suddenly the favorite. So yeah. it's just such a weird year. And it is going to be, like, the Bucks last year, I think, had to win six or seven straight road games. And they yeah. were the road team in their, own, in their home stadium for the Super Bowl. So just about getting hot, man. Did Fournette bet on the game? Because oh. <laughs> he just ran in the end zone at the end and didn't go down and take the field goal. It was a heck of a game. Lombardi-Lenny, you mean? Lombardi-Lenny, yeah. Four, he had four touchdowns coming into the whole year, coming mm. into that game. and He's fun to watch, man. He really likes to run. I don't know what happened to, to Rojo. No. Ronald Jones is MIA. Yeah, he's kind of been phased out. I, I think part of it, too, 
uh, with the NFL this year is the four. I mean, there's a few really bad teams, but there's just a lot at that mid-level. Yeah. Like I know, well, I mean, the Browns look awful right now, but they're like at the 12 seat if the playoffs started today, and they're six and six. Totally, I mean, the I mean, AFC is just nothing in the NFL you know, is settled yet. No, nothing. I mean, there's still so much football left to be played, and like you said. The, you have no idea which team's going to show up each Sunday. That one buy is huge because now it's like who gets it. And you think about a Tampa team that is a little older, wants to recharge after playing deep last year. The Packers, Aaron Rodgers, if he can get that extra week off, could be huge for his health. You know, all these teams are pretty beat up, Cowboys, whoever. Like, it's, it's going to be huge. And, you know, I think the MVP is the other thing. There really isn't a clear-cut MVP this year either. Brady's near the top of the list. Rodgers, Collar was there, but he hasn't played in a while. That's yeah. going to be something that comes down to probably the last three weeks, too. That's a great point. I mean, the fact that we don't have a runaway candidate at this point, I mean, Jonathan Taylor's on that list. Yeah. So, he I mean, is. he could be there. It could be Brady. It could be Rodgers. You know, who knows mm. six weeks from now what it's going to look like. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting with the extra game this year just to see how all that uh, – yeah. it's going to be weird not having any 500 teams. Yeah, we're also. It's also weird having bye weeks this late in the season. Yeah, like week fourteen bye week. What is that? You know who's not on my list of contenders right now are the L.A. Rams because they just look soft as you know what. Some, I mean, it's yeah, Stafford, man. It just it seems like he he's the ultimate play through injury guy. I yeah, but I I think yeah, you're right. I, I just think that this team like. The way they build this up, this isn't, you know, you can't have an all finesse team in the M in the NFL, maybe in the NBA or other leagues, but like you can't like the last couple of weeks, San Francisco, uh, especially, and then Green Bay, they just get punched in the mouth. Like yeah. it's not really, you know, flashy what's happening. I agree. I mean, it's it's just such a weird year, man. Like every every week something odd is happening. Like are the Patriots for real? Like that's all right. So uh, I, I have some thoughts on this, and I think part of it is, you know, we live in this like you know, everyone wants to be like, oh, here they come. It's, it's you know, it's the story, story tell thing. And don't get me wrong. Bill Belichick, greatest NFL coach ever. Agreed. What he's done with the defense. The signings, I think that's the part that, like, he hasn't been the best at drafting. He's had some busts. But Judon was just sitting there. Born the receiver is amazing. Dude. And then, obviously, you know, Mac Jones falling into their laps. I think they're good. I think the conference is kind of all over the place. I'm not ready to say Super Bowl, like, anoint no. them. Because Mac Jones, and I do think he's got a long career ahead of him, this is going to be the first time he plays big, meaningful football games in the NFL. Totally. I'm just ready. Let's see how this plays out. And if he has a couple bad games, that's not the end of his career. But I just think he's in a new position. I would take the Chiefs over them. I would take a few other teams over them. I They're think, definitely in the mix. Do they still have two games against the Bills, too? Yeah, one I mean, those week. are going to be telling, telling yeah, weeks. Yeah, and I think they're going to split them, and then it's probably going to come down to, you know, a couple yeah. weeks late in the season. God, the poor Bills, man. They finally get good, and they're like, oh, the Patriots are gone after 15 years. And True, but it is. It's still... It's not the Brady Pats, so you're not like we have no. You're not hope. worried. It's yeah. like there's, you know, they're they're a contender. You have to beat good teams to win the Super Bowl. So eventually, they would have to go through the gauntlet. The Bills, it's weird because their offense has kind of taken a step back this year. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think it's necessarily all on Josh Allen. I think you've seen some good things from their defense, but they're a team that we were also ready to anoint, and then they had some tough losses yeah, in there. Totally. I mean, I, I don't really buy the Cardinals' success yet. Because they've yeah. done a lot of it with Colt McCoy. Mm -hmm. You know, Kyler's great, but if he if he can't stay healthy and Colt McCoy's your QB moving forward, I don't necessarily like that team in the playoffs. I feel like they're taking the long approach to Kyler, which could be good, which is you showing. Hope. You, you know, hope so. I mean, the, he's one of the most exciting yeah. players in the NFL. The defense with Chandler Jones is amazing. I think that's been the biggest difference in what you're seeing with this Cardinals team. 
Cliff yeah. Kingsbury is, you know, I have my doubts about him in big games, but his offense works. It's working now. And uh, even with Colt McCoy, they're able to scrape by. Um, I I hope you didn't watch that Browns-Ravens game on Sunday night. Man, that, Dude, was that football? Ridiculous, That was man. a wild, wild game, man. That I'm was... Like, um, <laughs> I mean, how do you I, do it, Mitch? Year in and year out with these. Browns. I was like, man, we can get. So what did I think right when I woke up on Monday? I was like, man, you think we can get Pickett from Pitt, the QB in the draft <laughs> next year? You think he'll fall to us wherever we are? Uh, it's bad. The offense is atrocious. You pick off Lamar Jackson four times. You just stifle that Ravens offense and you can't win the game. Is and Baker's got those small little baby hands. And is Baker the, the issue? Yes. He's so. Why, well, so he's injured right now. Let's just let's start that. Okay, if you're going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's injured, I feel like a paid, torn labrum or something, you, right? In his left, yeah, shoulder. and he's hobbled. Like the labrum is like you know, it's off season. It's never going to heal on its own. Right. You need surgery yeah. eventually, but but it's the other stuff. Like you paid Case Keenum seven million dollars. He's the third highest paid backup in the league. He's played with Stefanski before when he was his coordinator in Minnesota. Why did you sign him to all that money if you're not going to play him? Like how could it be any worse than what you're getting from the yeah. position right now? I like Baker, man. I feel like sometimes he takes himself a little too seriously. Like he's like uh, he's trying to prove to himself that he's the leader of the team. Yeah, and it's like just go out there and play. It's not college, and you're right. Like you can't the rah rah stuff, all that. Like that's you have to play well. Like this is a job, this is a yeah. business. It's not the same. Like you know, and if he starts playing well, no one's going to care about the media stuff. But you have to play well. Yeah, you got to win to be able to act like that. I actually don't think the Ravens are that good, but I think Lamar might be the most. Like he's probably not going to win it, but he's the most valuable to his team. Like, yeah. I think without him, like you saw, he has a bad game. They're like, they can't do anything. That's a great point. Yeah, I think it, it's, that's the thing. There aren't any great teams this year. Every team has a hole. Tennessee Multiple looks holes. atrocious without Derrick Henry. So maybe he's the real MVP. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's wild. It's just been a, a yeah. really fun year of football, oh, yeah. college and NFL. Like, just some great games. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah, I know. Not so much. I mean, the Harbaugh brothers ruined my Thanksgiving. So <laughs> I uh, I have to take a segue from that. But though that's as far as football goes here on the Money Mitch effect. Uh, you're a big boxing guy, so I got to. I am some a big boxing there. guy. Yeah. Did you watch? Did you watch the Lopez Cambosis fight? I didn't catch it live. You hit yeah. me up the next day, and you were like, "That was atrocious." <laughs> so was. I went back and watched some of the highlights, and I agree. It was atrocious, and and <laughs> all right, I'll start here. I actually like Lopez as a fighter. Um, he was the, he's the better boxer, more talented, no disrespect to Cambosis. Um, it was a terrible game plan. He came in with a lot on his mind. We know there's some personal stuff going on as well. Uh, I think he's getting terrible advice pre post during the fight from his father who wants yeah. to be the star of the show, but he wanted a fire fight from the beginning and he fought reckless and gets knocked down as Teddy Atlas said, staring down his jab. <laughs> yeah. And from that point on, it was just a mess of a fight. It was. And, and he topped it all off with the cliche, I'm going to handle this terribly, say I won the fight 10 too. Yeah. I mean, that's the most boxing thing ever, man. To me, that felt like there's no way Tiafimo was going out of that arena without saying exactly those words. And he got like, booed that's who in he his is. hometown. Yeah, booed in his hometown. It sucks because this is we're sort of coming into another golden era of boxing, I mm -hmm. think. I mean, the past four or five years have been we've had some great fights, great trilogies, all up and down, all the all the weight classes. It's just a bummer for me because Tiafimo's you know, he beat Lomachenko and that was amazing. But you gotta be able to back this stuff up. Yes. And that's sort of the issue too I have. Too much too soon, probably. Yeah, it's 
You, I don't know. It's he's tough because he's 25 years old or something. Yeah, like he's super young. You want these guys to go yeah. out and have big fights mm-hmm. and, and fight the best dudes. Sometimes they're going to lose. So it's sort of a, a give and take. Like that's a, still a pretty big fight. Now, it's not like Lopez was a 10 to 1 favorite to win that fight. I mean, no. it was up there. It's one he of the bigger upsets, high. but yeah. it's tough because he was on, you know, the Lomachenko win is one of the better wins in boxing because, you know, Loma looked nearly unbeatable there for like five, six years. I think that that's what started to turn things. He was like, I'm not giving him a rematch, which yeah, upset and we me sort because of talked it's like that. Loma like, just fought him with an injury but didn't make excuses, lost the fight, accepted his loss. Should have been an immediate rematch. Lopez ain't getting a rematch now. Like, the way he's handled all this, he like, there he goes. And that's the thing. Like, a loss doesn't ruin your career. Yeah. Muhammad Ali lost multiple times, I mean, even before the, the downturn, like, in his prime, lost. Rebounded. You know, Sugar Ray Leonard lost. Lost to Duran, picked himself back up and won that fight. Um, it's funny but, we look at those guys like that, but then a guy like AJ comes to mind, Joshua. Yeah. Like he's sort of on that career path too, where he's lost a couple of easy fights. Like I don't know if the Ali's and the Sugar Rays ever lost fights to Andy Ruiz. I mean, yeah, that's a tough but, one. But AJ comes back and uh, keeps fighting. Yeah. So. There I'm is torn. I'm torn on the whole heavyweight because I AJ's, like all those guys. Dude, but AJ's okay. Ruiz AJ makes me upset. Loss. Oh, Ruiz, that's a Usyk, loss. Not Fuke loss. That might, dude. That guy. He was the best kept secret in boxing until because you got to remember too. You know this, but a lot of people don't. That dude cleaned out the cruiserweight division, gave up his belts because he's like nothing left for me here. Time to go up. Yeah. Then fights Joshua, who had lost before to Ruiz. Kind of a flash knockout, like stun. Didn't take it seriously. That was a what ten two nine three fight. Like he picked him apart. It was it was one of the more impressive boxing matches we've seen. I mean, and if they they're Usyk's gonna, great. They're going to do it again, and Usyk's going to be a big favorite. I, I just think the, the Usyk thing is fighting Fury, which is amazing, and he's a better pound for pound boxer in all the rankings. But that's a lot of size to give up. I don't know if we see that fight though. I mean, Fury's not afraid to fight anybody. No, he's so big. Like that's the thing is like that size has never been seen before. Fury's amazing, man. I love I love Tyson Fury. I think he's he's one of my favorite boxers. Yeah, he just, he's like he's exactly what you want out of a heavyweight champion. He's flashy. He sings after he wins. Comes out to living in yeah, America. And he fights people. Yeah. Like he he fought Wilder three times. I mean three times. Probably I mean, I think won all three fights. And, you know, has to deal with his knockout power the whole time and didn't get put to sleep once in three fights with yeah. Deontay Wilder. Honestly, I think one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in boxing is Fury getting off the deck in that first fight. Yeah. After getting two temple punches. Dude, you could say that about in the third fight about dealing with the two knockdown rounds, yeah. regaining it, oh. and just out. And then from that point on, outboxing him to the Man, finish line. Just one of the. That fight this year was one of the best fights I've ever seen. Do you think, uh, is Canelo the pound for pound guy right now? Oh. I think Usyk deserves a little more credit than he's been mm. getting in pound for pound, but how can you go against Canelo? Who's Who, he lost to? Who's the next fight he has rumored? I mean, I know he's talked about going up to cruiserweight. Yeah, I think he's got a fight with Makalu or something. Yeah, but there, no, I'm trying to think of the guy that he should fight next. There's a couple of good challengers out there for him. Um, it depends on where he wants to yeah, go. I mean, what, what does he want to do? Clean out another division? That'd be... 
Because Bud Crawford's up there, although it wasn't his best performance against Porter. What a wild fight that was. I mean, that was just bizarre. Then Porter retires after his dad stops it. And Porter it, with maybe the best boxing of his career, too. I yeah. mean, that was one of the best nights he's ever had. I mean, he's won big fights, but he just looked so explosive and good. And I, I didn't think there was any way they were stopping that fight like that. Another no. instance of, you know, your father in the corner. And they had never spoken about that, about stopping a fight before and then coming out and saying Sean didn't prepare right. But to me, that felt like that fight was pretty close. Would they give, I mean, if it's Crawford, if we get Crawford and Spence, that's like the fight of the year you can make. Like maybe with the exception of some of the heavyweight clashes, I don't think you can get a better fight than that. I think if if you're looking purely on boxing, not thinking about weight classes, and I think the fight I wanna see most is probably Spence Crawford. I think that's what I want to mm-hmm. see. Yeah, like I, I'm absolutely. Is Gennady Golovkin still boxing? I mean, I feel like I haven't seen that dude. No, he's old now. It sucks. And I thought he beat Canelo twice. Lee definitely once. Whatever. Definitely uh, ben Benitez was the guy I was thinking of. Oh yeah, that's that's the fight to make with Canelo. Uh, I don't know if he beats him. Plant gave him a fight, but Canelo is like a shark in the water, and that's just like you know that's kind of how Bud Crawford is. Yeah, get your opening. The, the great one just finish you off. I think we talked about it a few days ago, but the Spence-Crawford matchup, while in theory seems like it'd be a great fight, it could yeah. be a little weird because they're both counterpunchers. Yes. And sometimes when those guys get together, it's just a lot of feints and jabs. And mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's one thing to look out for. I'd hope that fight happens. I mean, Spence was at the fight. He shook his and head and left. Impressed it wasn't impressed. So, I mean, I'd love to see that fight, man. There's a lot of good fights out there. Great so heavyweight. Fight. I want to see. There's so much good boxing ahead for us. So it's a, it's a yeah. great time to be into the sport. It I think. is. It is. It's great. I and then you know Jake Paul and Tommy Fury. It, it, I'm uh, sort of. I'm, I'm sort of torn on that. I'm into sort of it as stuff. a spectacle. It's not a real fight. I mean, I don't think I'm breaking news. Paul's obviously taking PEDs. Like, Gotta be right. <laughs> they don't drug test. Yeah. There's like. <laughs> why he's not fighting actual boxers so this is going to be and an the, interesting yeah, the weight limit thing too now i've heard also heard from people that are credible sources in the sport that tommy fury not very good <laughs> so he's no tyson fury well <laughs> but that's the interesting part is that whether it be you know part of the build-up to the fight or whatever tyson came out and said you know if my brother doesn't beat yeah he was paul brother he loses the fury name so you know that's from a from an entertainment standpoint, I mean they're doing it the right way in terms of like marketing themselves and everything. Uh, oh. And I, you watch, you know, watch enough real boxing, you know, it's not like I hate the goes. Paul brothers. Yeah, but they've sort of carved out. They I mean, especially Jake Paul has yeah. carved out a, a little area where he he can make hundreds of millions of dollars, yeah. not fight any actual fighters, right. and still come out looking like he's a great boxer. I mean, maybe he is a technically good boxer. He's knocking out Nate no. Robinson. You know, he's he's not knocking out no. any of these. He's knocking out old UFC fighters that, that don't old, have boxing specialties. Yeah. That's the other Boxing's side of it. Boxing's not MMA. You know, it's, it's some a of the sport. some UFC fighters could beat him up in a boxing match. Uh, but the other point is, he's fighting the like Walter Whiteway guys. Yeah. he's going at about what 190, oh. 200 with all of his training and stuff. So on that yeah. side of it, like from the boxing side, it's like this is gimmicky and I hate mm-hmm. it. But I also think it's great for the sport because it's bringing probably a group of you know, 15 to 25 year olds that aren't into the yeah. sport at all who know these guys yeah. are watching boxing. And you're getting fighters on the card that you're are getting real boxing fights yeah. on the undercard to see. And yeah. I, I think that can only help the sport. I mean, you might end up seeing more of these thriller fights 
like ridiculous, you know, Roy Jones and and whoever fight. That's different. That's a different story. Yeah, to me. the UFC guy that got destroyed the other night was. Yeah, that. I mean, you don't need you don't need that, but uh, I don't need that. But I, I think the Jake Paul, what he's done, is good for boxing, and I think that sure. might be sort of uh, an odd way to think about it because I hate the guy. But <laughs> Ian Dunn, Money Mitch Effect. Uh, before we go, quick thoughts on the baseball free agency. Anything just. I know you're riding the World Series championship wave, but yeah, I mean, what a the crazy. Mets are going after it. The the Rangers are going after Rangers. it. Tigers just signed Javi Baez today. I love the one thing I saw was on Scherzer's deal with the Mets, one thirty for three years. Yeah, Jeez. so that's what forty three mil a year. I think he's thirty eight now. Yeah, 37, 38. and I think that the the Twins or the new uh, Cleveland Guardians. <laughs> I think their opening day payroll is like 42 mil or something. One of those oh, yeah, teams. Yeah, we're definitely lower than which that. Which is, you know, crazy. I, yeah. I think for me it's going to be a real busy it, – it's going to be a busy jump to the end of the year, and then I think we're going to see a lockout or a work stoppage. Could, ooh, mid-season? No, I think oh, before, before, before the season, the season starts. starts mm-hmm. I think you're going to see – Unfortunately. I don't know when the, the agreement's up. It's, if it's January 1st or December 1st or whatever it is, but they're so far away, and just everything I'm reading and seeing and, and talking to folks, it it just feels like maybe, maybe not a lockout or a work stoppage that lasts into the season, but there's going to be probably three or four weeks in there where – there's no baseball activities going on. And honestly, maybe that's what the sport needs. Mm-hmm. But if it carries on into spring training, it's it's like 94 all over again. You're going to lose a ton of fans. People aren't going to – I mean, baseball's already having a hard enough time to get people to the ballpark and watch the sport. Mm-hmm. If you take a sport away from people, it's it's just going to kill it even more. So I think, I think what needs to happen, they need to take a break, separate, if they can't agree. Yeah. Give it a month – let the, the media squabble back and forth, make it a story on MLB Network, and then they'll come to an agreement and everything will be fine. Everyone will be happy. That's all we need. Hopefully the best is yet to come. Yeah, I mean, the and one I'm thing I do want to say. I'm glad you got your championship in yeah. before the work stoppage, Ooh. potentially. Well, it's crazy. They win They win in 95 after the work stoppage, and they'll win in 2021 before wow. the next work stoppage. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, I think, um, that, I think that you might be onto something there. I think the, the signings are... I mean, it's good to see that the teams are still willing to spend money and Some make ridiculous moves. money out there. Yeah, and the players, I'm sure, are happy. But I think there's so many other issues that that they're so far apart on. And I just like as a PSA to say, if the Braves don't sign Freddie Freeman, what the heck were the last ten years? <laughs> You're just for? like give him everything he wants, especially because yeah, like what he did. The, the money World he Series. brought into Atlanta, just winning that title alone, is going to pay for his contract. He's on your Mount Rushmore, huh? I mean, he's Chipper Jones of level for me. top four athletes. So, like, I guess it would just be between Bucks and Braves, I would assume, right? Work done. Okay. Obviously, you're, you're, your uncle. Chip, how many people are on the – on the? Uh, no, my cousin. My cousin, cousin. work. Okay. How many people are on Mount Rushmore? Four? Four, yeah. Still no four. Uh, uh, not five yet? Uh, uh, civics uh, class. Got to <laughs> it's okay. That's uh, that yeah. New York New York knowledge. Yeah. Uh, so, work done. Work done. Okay. Chipper Jones. Ken Griffey Jr. Wow. Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman. Three baseball players. Griffey is the one that's out of left field or center field, I should say. But do, do I grew up a yeah. huge Griffey fan. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Backwards hat. Yeah, I'm in my age, early nineties, mid nineties. Best swing ever. Best prettiest uh, swing ever. I mean, ever. he was on backyard baseball too. And yes. I played that a ton. And okay. I love Griffey. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Brad Johnson's not on there. No. You know? Yeah. Derek Brooks, Warren Sapp. Oh. 
I was going to put uh, Peyton Hillis. No, I didn't. <laughs> hey, Madden cover, dude. Uh, let's see. Yeah, let's see. Peyton. Yeah, we'll, we'll put Peyton Hillis on there. Uh, Carlos Bayer. <laughs> no, but anyway. Tim Couch. Tim Couch. Yeah, got to have him on well, yeah, there. Yeah, now I want to know who Eric you're. Snow. <laughs> Just all the role players. No, I don't. I'd have to think about it, honestly. I know Kenny Lofton's on there for me. Oh, yeah. yeah Lofton he's, was he's, fun. he's for sure on there. He was like. Kenny Lofton was 90s Ricky Henderson. I would say the one that people wouldn't get, I'm, I'm a little older than you, but Eric Metcalf was like the first favorite athlete okay. I had. It was the, and he would be amazing in today's game. So I'd probably say Metcalf, Lofton. After that, it's tough. Yeah. I'd I mean, really you're. Think about it. Browns haven't really had anybody to put on there in the last, like, yeah, however many say. years. So, you know, it's tough. I don't know. I'd have to really think. Yeah, uh, I'll get back to you on that one. Ben Jarvis Green Ellis. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Willie Green. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't put Matt Rule on your Mount Rushmore. <laughs> oh, Matt Rule. I'm hoping the Panthers fire him when he comes back to town. He was ahead of the game on all this college coach movement. <laughs> there was a well. uh, an article yesterday I read that was like uh, Temple to look at Matt Rule coaching tree for for next. Oh, my God. Uh, and for when I first saw it, I was like, so they're looking good. at Matt Rule to come back? So good. Run through uh, a wall for that guy. Ian Dunn, pleasure chatting with you as always. We'll have to do this again. Uh, enjoy Thanks, your money. little your little low key time with tennis before you gear back up. Yeah, the producer's chair. So, oh yeah, enjoy it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks as always, man. Always congrats good to chat on some the, sports. Yeah, congrats on the titles. We'll have to do this again soon. Yeah, hopefully two more titles on the way. I hope not. Thank <laughs> Thanks, you. money. Big thanks to Ian Dunn. Big thanks to Brennan Smith. That's going to do it for today's episode of The Money Mitch Effect. If you like the episode, you can find it and find all the episodes in the entire catalog on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Leave a rating, subscribe, share it, share it with all your friends. Friends don't let friends miss out on The Money Mitch Effect. You can follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21 and The Money Mitch Effect Facebook page where there's exclusive content as well. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. We'll be back next week to recap college football championship Saturday. Some talks, some NFL, and other top storylines in sports. For everybody who is a part of this show, for Brendan Smith and Ian Dunn, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Thank you for listening, and keep enjoying sports.